Hello, Monetization Nation. In this episode, I interview one of the best investors that any entrepreneur could ever hope to have. His name is Carl Hewish, and he was one of the primary investors in my Adoption.com company before we sold it. Carl is the managing director of Bella Flor Communities, a real estate development company. As an investor and board member, he participates in venture capital investments in a variety of fields. He was the founder and CEO of a risk management firm, which was sold to a public company. He was the founder and CEO of a turnkey asset management platform for 401k and retirement plans, which was also sold to a large private company. Carl started his career practicing corporate law and transaction law. He has a JD from the University of Chicago Law School and a BA in economics from Brigham Young University. In addition to a law license, which is now inactive, Carl has previously held licenses as a CFP or Certified Financial Planner, an AIF or Accredited Investment Fiduciary, and has general insurance licenses. Did you know that 97% of consumers read online reviews and 86% of consumers would pay more for a service provider that has high ratings and good reviews? In today's episode, Carl and I are going to discuss secrets to succeed with online reviews in an untrusting world, right after this intro. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Hello, Carl. Hi, Nathan. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? And for our watchers and listeners to know how you and I got connected, you were an investor in, in my adoption.com business. Yes, that's, that's right. I, uh, I was uh, for, for a number of years and it was a great experience uh, just learning from you and uh, being associated with you. And you, you introduced me to a lot of uh, new ways of it, this whole field of digital marketing was not something that I had any deep understanding about and you clearly are an expert in this field. And so uh, it was really a great experience for me to learn from you and people on your team in terms of digital marketing and, and how do we uh, apply various digital marketing approaches in a, in a specific industry. And when you talk and, and you weren't just an investor, you were one of the best investors that anybody could ever work with. Uh, Carl oh, was an amazing <laughs> partner and uh, provided amazing advice. Uh, and was so kind and so supportive and uh, was really a, a delightful investor to have. Well, you're very kind. It was, a, it was a, a, a very good experience and I learned a lot from it. And when we talk about, you talk about real estate investing that you've done, this isn't small scale like buy a house and flip it. This is large apartment complexes and large scale real estate investment. Is that correct? Uh, it is. It's uh, yes. We'll we'll develop um, um, communities, homes for sale, um, subdivisions that could be thirty homes, sixty homes, a hundred homes, you know, one hundred and fifty homes per subdivision. And then, usually, when you develop what's called greenfield, develop develop a, an apartment complex to get any kind of scale, you need to be usually north of a hundred units, so two hundred units or above three hundred units. And those take um, a lot of time and capital, and there's a whole process. That's a it's a multi-year project from start to finish, 
with all the different steps involved. And so we're involved in, in those aspects of real estate development. You know, when any um, part of what I do is in, in real estate development and real estate management and credibility is so important. And the, uh, you know, the five-star test that happens on Amazon and happens on virtually every company now is so important for us. And it, it, it's interesting because people tend to give ratings based on a very bimodal feeling. Uh, if someone has an average experience, they tend not to uh, report that because it's not uh, interesting. It, it doesn't provoke them. It, it doesn't create an emotional response for them to say, well, let me give that a rating. But if someone has a bad experience, they do. And so you get a one star or a zero star if zero stars are permitted. And if someone has a really good experience, you get a five star. But what's interesting is 54321 is not kind of like a letter grade. In some ways, it's five star or nothing because anything less than a five star is seen as some kind of failure. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of us are familiar with the, the Harvard metric that is used often in simple tests where they say, how would you rate this? Are, are you are you likely to refer us to somebody else? Oh, the net promoter score. The promoter score, yes, the net promoter score. And if I recall the study correctly, it's you get an eight, nine, or a 10, or everything else is failure, right? Yeah. Uh, anything below a 10 is just failure. And I think it's in some ways that way with, with ratings. Five, sometimes four, but anything three, two, one is just failure. I'll give you a quick story. I was traveling a couple of years ago in Italy, back when we could travel, actually. I was traveling <laughs> in, in olden days. Yeah, that's right. I was traveling in, in Italy. I was with my wife having a great trip. We got to a place in, I think, Siena, Italy. And we got to the hotel and uh, got in there and the um, AC wasn't, wasn't working. And, um, and it wasn't working, uh, not really for the fault of the the hotel, they had had a mechanical issue. They had, this is the story that we learned. They'd had a mechanical issue. They had learned uh, about it. They had quickly responded. They had opened the windows and uh, that had let in a lot of mosquitoes because of the humidity and stuff. And so they were trying to solve this problem for their AC unit that was down, which of course they were trying to solve. Now this was a highly rated hotel in the area. And my wife was a little frustrated with the experience and said, I'm going to do a review. We had just been in the room 10 minutes and I was smashing and squashing mosquitoes. <laughs> and she goes, I'm going to, I'm going to write a review. I said, why write a review? I said, let me, let me tell you how it works. I said, I bet there's someone monitoring that in real time. Well, she wrote the review and I, and she goes, what rating should I give? I said, this is a nice hotel. This is a small little thing that we'll work through. I'd give it a four instead of a five. No, I'm going to give it a one. And she's very tempered in what she writes. And it was uh, nothing that was scathing or not, nothing that was inappropriate or used to, you know, it was just, it was very measured, but she said, you know, here's the problem. Here's the issue. And then she sent the review. Within five minutes, we get a phone call. No kidding. Within five minutes, we get a phone call. It's the hotel manager on staff. And I had pretty much thought that they monitored these in real time, but now I knew they monitored in real time. That was only a guess, but now I realize this.
That's a good business manager that has that system in place. Oh, it, 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 it really is. And uh, they called up, Mrs. Hewish, we, uh, how are you doing? We saw your review. Um, boy, we're so sorry. What can we do? How can we solve this, et cetera, et cetera. They, the hotel manager was up to our room within five minutes. They brought in fans. They brought in some uh, mosquito repellent. Um, you know, they did all that was in their power to do. It was an unfortunate experience, but I don't blame them because they were a very service-oriented company doing all within their power. But it was so interesting to see that, see that review. And I told my wife, I said, there's some money at stake here. There's clearly some money at stake here. It has nothing said, to do with your money. It has to do with hundreds of other customers that will see that review. Yes. But, I, but, but there's not, yes, you're absolutely right. It's not only money at stake for the hotel itself who cannot stand. I mean, they were like 4.8, 4.7 rating somewhere in that range. And so to have a one just kills you. Mm -hmm. And to have a one that says our room was filled with, with mosquitoes. Imagine how that looks to someone yeah. looking at that. And, um, and I said, I think it's more than just the hotel. I think they've devised a system, which I'll, I'll never know, that really has spot bonuses or small bonuses on a daily, weekly, monthly basis for the people on staff that day. And if they get one star, two star reviews, your job could be at stake. Maybe not, but you know, you're at risk. Certainly there's some bonuses at stake. There's some money at stake, not just for the hotel, clearly for the hotel, but for the people involved. Yes. Because their response was so quick. I mean, five minutes of phone call, 10 minutes later, I had three people at our door, the manager and two other staff people. What can we do? How can we help? What's the problem? Then my wife said, well, should I revise my review? And I said, well, of course. I said, to me, so much of this is based on what is within your power. So she revised her review. I think she gave him a four star after that. Um, I don't think they were thrilled with that, but I think under the circumstances it's probably fair. But what was so interesting to me in that uh, perhaps overwrought and long story that I just gave was how quick, how quick they were to respond to a negative review. Um, and they knew that was everything. They knew that people that were visiting their hotel had probably never been to that hotel and probably would never again be to that hotel. So that to me was a fascinating story. That is a great story. And, and it shows also how to deal with the bad review, right? If you can deal with it quickly and show exceptional customer service in response, you can often completely, or at least to a great extent, remedy uh, that negative review or that negative situation. Yes, you can. My, my feeling uh, from my personal experience and talking with others and just kind of having a sense of how other people respond are, most people in the world are fair-minded. Uh, some are not, but most people are. To where if you do the best you can and are honest with people and upfront with people and explain the situation, even if the result is not optimal, that people will accept it. And people will generally say, I get it, I understand, you're doing the best that you can, and they will not be highly critical how does that translate? They won't end up with a one-star review or two-star review. So I think to your point, Nathan, being quick with service, 
not uh, in a way that's sincere, in a way that's authentic, in a way that's real, in a way that's direct and timely. All of those things make a huge difference. If that company had called not five minutes later, but two hours later, there's no chance you lost, you, you, you lost us. There's, yeah. no, there's no way ever to make that up. You just spent too much time. We're going to be there one night, one night. And so if you waited, well, my shift's almost over. Maybe I'll, I'll let the next person deal with this problem and it's too late. Yep, that's right. Immediate customer service. Immediate customer service. Yeah, it, 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 it gives you like, a, a, it's almost like immediate customer service is a lever or a lever, right? It's, a, it's this leverage point that it amplifies whatever service you're giving to someone by some factor, by a factor of 1.1 or 1.5 or 2.5, something, right? So yep. doing some kind of immediate customer service is, I think, always better than waiting. And you're going to give the same response anyways. You're going to give the same free meal or the same discount or, or, or the same, uh, I'm so sorry, what can we do? Whatever you're going to give, you're going to give, right? Why not do it immediately because of that leverage in terms yes. of how it's perceived and received by the, um, by the recipient? I think it goes much, much further. That is a brilliant point. And I'm curious, did that hotel give you your money back for that night? No, they didn't. Um, and, and I wouldn't have expected them to. Yeah. That's probably the right thing for them to do, to not give the money back. But my question is, what do you do when someone acts, acts unreasonably? What happens when someone says, well, I'm going to keep this one star unless you give me my money back and a credit for another night stay, right? They ask for something unreasonable and they use the negative review almost to extort you to get something that you shouldn't. This is a trend that's happening now. People know the power of that negative review and they use it to get something unfairly from the business. Any yes. advice on how to deal with that? Yes. And, and you use the term extortion, which has a um, kind of a, there's a, there's a meaning, there's a legal meaning to that, which is doing something that is unlawful, but we could call it green mail or black mail or something in between, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, if, you're, if you're doing something that is lawful, but you're still trying to exert leverage to get something, we may call that green mail. Perhaps there are other terms for it as well. Yeah, I like that. You know, I, I, I am familiar, I guess, from just reading uh, reading a, a number of things as we all do online, that there are people that do that. I consider that to be horrible. I, I just consider that to be beneath human dignity uh, because, you know, people may say, well, it's all about leverage, but to me, that's, you know, that is, uh, you, you are breaking down in, in a small way, you are breaking down fabric by fabric, part of society that is making life worse for everybody else. And yeah, it is you're destroying the trust in a trust-based system. Yeah, that's right. Are, yeah, that's right. It's a good point. And you are, um, you know, tearing apart society in a way that's going to hurt us all. And you may not realize it, but it's just, it's a, it's an utterly selfish act. Any examples of credibility marketing you can think of? Well, it is so true and it's ubiquitous in our society today. And you describe well this shift that has taken place where 
you know, you wonder if simultaneous with this shift in credibility marketing is also a reduction in our overall trust. I just feel like we just trust people less today than we used to. I'll give you a, a, a simple example of that trust. Around Christmas time for years, my family and I would uh, gather some gift baskets together, as many families do, and we would um, have kind of some games associated, but we would go out in the community and give these gift baskets away. Um, some things would be little toys, they would be food baskets, they would be candy baskets, and lots of people do things like this. It was just a way to have fun and activity and to give some things away. Um, as we, and, and for years, for 10 years that we did this and had a great experience and people were very receptive. I've noticed the last couple of years where sometimes we can't even give stuff away. Uh, I would come up to someone at, on the street and say, Merry Christmas. I'd like to give you this gift basket. Well, who are you? <laughs> How do I know that you're a legitimate person? How do I know what's in that gift basket? And I was really taken aback. And, after, and, and I would uh, target going into certain areas of, of the community where I felt like receiving a gift basket would be something where it'd be appreciated and someone could actually use what we have in the gift basket. These are, these are things like gift cards to Walmart and yeah. a little bit of food and candy for kids and just things like that. And um, uh, it's not life-changing, but it's just meant to be fun and just to say, hey, you're a, you're a person, I love you, I don't know you, but I want you to know that uh, someone's thinking of you and the spirit of Christmas is real. It was just that sort of thing. But the last couple of years, we've actually stopped doing it because the receptivity has dropped tremendously. Yeah. And it's this idea that we just don't trust other people. And um, I don't know all the causes for that. We'd have to, that, that, that would be a long discussion to think through why has, this is my opinion, our collective trust of strangers and others precipitously dropped. And it's a, it's a sad, terrible um, event to me uh, to see this happen. But it really is true that we're, we, we have a drop in trust. And what, what you're saying, and I totally agree, is that it translates into what people say about themselves um, and what people, uh, what companies say about themselves. You know, we all know the joke that if someone says, well, I'm being honest with you, here's what's going on, that your ears perk up and you say, so were you not being honest with me before? Why do you need to proclaim your honesty about this particular statement, but not about your prior statements? It just right. seems off-putting and strange, doesn't it? Yep. One of the tectonic shifts, um, we have a nickname for it, and it's called building a skyscraper on land you own. And the reason we talk about this is so many people have built digital businesses on the back of other people's platforms. Um, for example, I helped build the fourth largest Facebook app. We had 90 million app installs. They hired me as a chief revenue officer and I added $5 million of revenue in 12 months. And we, did, we were so successful that Facebook said, we're gonna remove your app from everybody that's installed it onto their main Facebook page. We're gonna take it off. We're gonna build um, what your app does into our core functionality and compete with you. Mm -hmm. And we proved their market for them 
for them and then they, they destroyed the business. And you see this over and over again. People built Facebook pages. And after they built these huge Facebook pages, then Facebook said, now you have to pay to reach the people that you've already paid to get to follow you. Um, Amazon did the same thing. They opened up their platform and let almost anybody come sell on the platform. They found out what sold the best and then they went and sourced those products and cut out the middlemen, right? These platforms have a tendency to go towards whatever's profitable for their organizations and for the shareholders and not what's in the best interest of the people using their platforms. Yeah. And so the if, concept if, is if there's a modern you, day uh, Trojan horse, it could be Amazon, right? Uh, yes. In terms of this. And that's, I'm not criticizing Amazon. I don't know the legality or not of what they do, but clearly they do a lot of that. Yes. And it's a, it's a Trojan horse with so many of their customers. That's right. And so the strategy is, Use these platforms, use them to build reach, but do it to get people to come back to something you own. Build an email list, build, you know, where you own the customer relationships and have the ability to communicate and contact your customers outside of Facebook or Amazon or any of these other platforms. So because you actually help build huge buildings on land you own, do you have any insight for us on that strategy? Well, that's interesting. We don't build huge buildings. Uh, we are uh, we we are a modest, small real estate developer, and uh, I am in awe to see people that develop these skyscrapers and other things, which we do not. We're just uh, we're just uh, simple simple developers. You know, I'll give you an example um, from real estate. Um, I was uh, interfacing with some people in in Phoenix who would develop things and then they would sell them off, develop apartments and sell them off. And, and uh, one of the challenges that they're having and all of us have is finding land, finding land that's really in a prime place to develop. And um, one of these developers remarked to me uh, a couple years ago, he goes, we've, we've adjusted our strategy. We're not going to sell things. We're just going to keep them. I'm not saying this is the right strategy for everybody. I'm not saying that this is some great pearl of wisdom, but it was interesting to see, see the shift, to see the shift from someone that says, we're going to buy, build, sell, buy, build, sell, and kind of go through that process as developers to say, you know what? These assets are going to continue to appreciate. I can't find, find anything that's going to be as valuable as what we're, as what we're doing. We're going to hold on to these. And so, um, you know, I think there is something to be said for not always looking uh, at the other side of the fence to see if the grass is greener, because sometimes the grass is not greener on the other side. Sometimes what you have, what you built, the answer may just be hold on, hold on to it and work through things. And, and that's, the, that's the best you can do. Now, that's an economic example. But, but I think there are, there, those examples could apply to almost any business out there where it's, you know, just don't be so quick to leave behind the assets, the, the inventory, the value that you have, um, because it, it, you may be better, as you say, building a skyscraper on your own land. Um, and but, what you're talking about here too is, is our last tectonic shift. It's the eighth tectonic shift. And, the, and the, the other one I wanted to talk to you about is 
is looking at business to focusing on building recurring revenue streams instead of just transactions, right? Instead of building an apartment complex to sell, you're, you're building something that can be a recurring revenue stream to you. You were just talking about that a bit. What are your thoughts on that? Is that wise in the real estate market? And I guess it depends on how much you can sell it for and how, how valuable that cash is to you at present. But what are your thoughts of, on that business strategy? Well, it's, it, it's clear that every public company wants to do that through, uh, if you're in technology, it's a SaaS, software as a service model. And if you're in any other type of business, you do want that recurring revenue. And Wall Street tends to value recurring revenue that has lower volatility and low risk and gives it higher multiples. So that's, that's obvious. That's well known. We've seen that shift the last 15 years. Um, Companies at scale that have large enough size with multiple transactions can also give the appearance of having that kind of uh, stable revenue just because of their size. Individuals struggle to do that. So, you know, it's hard to say whether every individual company should strive to do that or not. I think that's a, that's a, that's a challenge to put in place. But I think it's, a, it's something that every company should at least ponder and consider. Are there SaaS-like, when I say SaaS, software as a service, are there revenue streams that can be recurring that can be built into this business? There's a great example from two small businesses, one that didn't implement kind of an ongoing recurring revenue model and yep. looked back 20 years later and regretted it and said, my goodness, my business could be worth twice or three times what it is today. And I just would have had to go negative on one employee for maybe 12 months. That's it. Yep. Compared to another company, an IT company who says, this is our core business. Yes, we'll do the other things and compete head to head with other people, but we're just going to try to focus all our energies on developing clients that will be long-term recurring revenue clients. Fortune 500 companies figured this out many years ago and they're trying very hard to develop recurring revenue streams in everything they do. I think smaller businesses, the SMBs, the small and medium businesses now are also trying to do that and lean into that as much as they can. They'll find that there's less stress, higher margins, better lifestyle, easier to plan, more predictability, all the different check boxes that you would want in terms of business satisfaction from an owner of a business. I think you have more of that with recurring revenue. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carl. Some great stories and, and this is going to help a lot of people. Appreciate you sharing your time and your wisdom. Well, happy to share my time with you. I don't know if I have any wisdom to share, but it's just been a pleasure to be with you, Nathan. Thank you, Carl, for sharing your stories and wisdom. Here are some of the key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, encourage online reviews to build your credibility. Number two, monitor online reviews so you can quickly solve problems. Number three, give immediate customer service to fix problems where possible. Number four, be honest with our customers when there's a problem. Number five, give our employees incentives to get good reviews as long as that's legal with the review platform. Number six, listen to our customers. Number seven, consider if there are recurring revenue streams that could be built into our businesses. 
Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the Monetization e-magazine for free at monetizationnation.com. You can also subscribe to the Monetization Nation YouTube channel or podcast. You can connect with Nathan Gwilliam on LinkedIn, or you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram or Twitter. If we desire monetization we have never before achieved, we must leverage strategies we have never before implemented. I challenge each of us to pick one thing that resonated with us from today's episode and schedule a time to implement it to help achieve our monetization goals. Do you have any tips and tricks about increasing the number of five-star reviews? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I hope you have a fabulous day. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.